uh, as they do. I want to start talking to you uh, in, in, in the next chapter in our series, what I think is maybe the most important series we've ever done here called Love Does. We're examining practically the great and singular command of Jesus to love. So this week, um, I was driving my daughter to an event. Uh, I spend most of my life doing that, actually, so that's no shock. But I was waiting at a light at uh, dusk in my town. And uh, you know how hard it is to see at dusk? You can't quite, you know, your lights aren't taking effect yet, but it's dark. And so I made this left to start going down Schoolies Mountain. Um, I don't know if you're aware, they're building a gigantic, almost looks like Noah's Ark restaurant, OMG Burger, on the top of Schoolies Mountain. And so as I made the left, I have my mom on speakerphone because, you know, as a good son, I was checking in with my mom, talking to my mom, loving on my mom. And uh, my mom right now is watching at home going, yeah, that's like once a month. But anyway, um, so I was heading down the mountain when all of a sudden, because it was dusk, I couldn't see. There was all these construction workers in front of me waving their arms wildly and violently. um, And I couldn't see them until I got right up on top of them. And uh, the guy, you know, the guy comes up, stands in front of my car, throws his arms up and looks at me like that. So I was sitting behind my wheel and I threw my arms up and looked at him like that. And uh, my mom's on the phone and she's going, what's going on? I said, oh, you know, there's some construction guys. I couldn't see him. It was dust. They're standing in the middle of the road. But then I remembered, love is, is patient and kind and unnatural, remember? And uh, so... Um, The workers, after it turned out they were trying to move a truck across the street, so the workers started waving me on, and I thought to myself, okay, this is my opportunity to love. And so I pulled up next to the the guy, and I rolled down the window, and I said, hey, man, I said, I just want to apologize for that. I am so sorry. I said, I just want to let you guys know, though, because it's dusk, it's really hard to see you right until you get up on top of you. So I'm just a heads up that, that somebody, it could happen again. And so the guy sticks his head in my car and goes, Listen to me. If you can't see that truck with its lights on, you have a real problem. Amen. <laughs> and then his buddy came over and said, don't get into it with him. We got just traffic going. Get out of his window, blah, 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 blah. So uh, the guy um, stepped out of my window, and I, I sat there for a minute, and my mom was still on the, the speakerphone. And, uh, you know, she watches at home every weekend, and she said, Really hard to love people, isn't it, John? It was literally how the conversation, how it ended. Right out there in front of OMG Burger. I got a real problem with OMG Burger right now. Look, it's not, what we're talking about is not natural. It's not feel good, soft, mushy stuff. We're talking about hard stuff. Left to our own power, it's not possible to do this because our flesh is so much stronger. But as we've learned... Jesus came to initiate something brand new, a new promise, a new covenant between man and God. And the promise of God was that I'm not going to be in the building anymore. I don't dwell in churches. I dwell in my people, with my people, in their hearts and in their souls. Those who would follow me, there will be a power for them, a power to love. Now, let me back up quickly here before we go forward this morning. Your Bible, the one that many of you have home on the coffee table that all of us need to spend some more quiet time with, some chair time with, about three quarters of the Bible you have at home is what is referred to as the Old Testament. For many people, it's the part that they don't read. 
The Old Testament is essentially, boiling it down, it's the story of our creation, it's the story of our fall from perfection, and it's the long-told story of God's establishment of a, a covenant, a promise, what we now refer to as the Old Covenant, with a, first a people group, and then what would become a nation called Israel. And this, new, this Old Covenant was the foreshadowing of a new covenant that God was going to make with all people, through faith in the life and death of Jesus. And here, here was the Old Covenant, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with it. This is what kind of underpins all of the Old Testament. There's Israel, and God is saying, Israel, here are these laws, beginning with the Ten Commandments, but building over time to 600 plus laws that you've got to keep. And if you keep these commands, you'll be blessed, but if you don't, you won't. And it was a conditional covenant in that way. You do, I do. You don't, I don't. And at the heart of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, was a, a temple system model where there were sacred men operating in sacred places which contained sacred texts where people had to go to get right with God through a rather complex system of, of sacrificial offerings. Now Jesus comes. And at a pretty famous uh, last meal, one that we often refer to as the Last Supper, one that culminated his three years in earthly ministry, Jesus says at that table that night, we celebrate it when we celebrate communion, Jesus says, look, I've come to establish a new covenant, a new promise between God and people. I'm going to fulfill the old one. That one is done. There is a new covenant, a new way, a new promise. He tells these early followers that didn't fully get it, he tells these early followers that he's going to be for them and for all mankind a final sacrifice for all of the sins of the world and that by faith and following of him, the Spirit of God who no longer lives in temples, he will come and live and dwell within them. And that faith is going to replace sacrifice and works as the means for being right with God. Let me explain that one more time. Faith is going to come and replace sacrifice and works as the means for being right with God. Which, of course, makes you start to go, well, why do I always worry so much about sacrifice and works? Maybe I should worry more about faith. In fact, regarding all the laws of the old covenant, here's what Jesus said. He goes, a new command I'm going to give you. Here it is. Love one another. How, Jesus? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone's going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. There's this new promise from God, and, and, and there's a new way to get right with God, and there's a new commandment. Love one another as I've loved you. Now, guys, this is still controversial today. Most of us struggle with it because we, we, we kind of like the law helps us understand where we are. Unless we really understood it, we'd, we'd understand we're in trouble with it. But this is controversial, especially in the days of Jesus. You're talking about a religious system that had been in place for a thousand years, a system that today we're still caught up in, thinking that the way to God is keeping commandments, being a good person, right? Well, I'm a good person. So the sacred men that, that worked in sacred places whose stature and identity were wrapped up in the old covenant temple model, well, this new covenant, God is out of the box and living with his people and forgiving them by grace through faith, that system, that's threatening. And so if you know the stories of Jesus, a lot of times these men would come up and try to trick Jesus up, try to, try to get him out of the new covenant thinking and back to the old covenant that they could control. Teacher, 
Which is the greatest commandment in the, in the law? Well, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, two weeks ago we learned this, this is not second in importance, it was like it, it is the same in a sense, it is of equal importance. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus gets very radical and pretty plain. He goes, listen, all of the law and the prophets, all of your nation's history, all of the Old Testament, all of the 600 plus laws, they all hang on these two commandments. All three quarters of the words of the Old Testament all hang on those two things. And as we learned last week, if you think this is radical, check out what the Apostle Paul wrote. Now, depending on your faith background, you may know him as St. Paul. See, Paul was a sacred man running sacred places. He would argue, actually he did argue in one of his famous writings, that there was no one in all of Israel who kept the law better than he did. He was the best. He was a sacred man bent on protecting the sacred system and the temple system. Paul was a persecutor of the early church. Paul was a part of the killing of the first follower of Jesus, trying to end this new covenant movement. But Paul met the resurrected Jesus. Jesus came to him one day on a road uh, called, on, on his way to a city called Damascus. And the, uh, Jesus came to him so powerfully that Paul, who was the greatest keeper of the Old Covenant, he winds up writing more about the New Covenant than anybody else. And here's what he said, if you think the New Covenant is radical. The best law keeper of all time said this, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. See, Jesus, he has 12 disciples. Disciples, you know, it just means students. He has 12 learners and one was a man named John. And John walked very closely with Jesus. He wrote several books in the New Testament. And here's how he summed up this new covenant. He said, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. God is love. This is how you will know Right? This is how you will know where you are with God, if God is dwelling with you, if you love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, we will love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And he's made, his love is made complete in us. There it is, the new covenant. God is out of the building. He doesn't dwell here, but with his people. Jesus' sacrifice pay the price due for our sins. They cover our sins. And now, if God is in us, which is the only way you can love a construction worker treating you like a moron on the side of Schoolies Mountain, if God is in you, he concludes with this command, and he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must must, let me just repeat that one more time, must love their brother and sister. Must. Now, if this is the new command, if Paul says it's all that counts, then why do you and I spend so much of our time worrying about the old covenant that Jesus fulfilled? Why do we spend so much of our time worrying if we've been good enough, done enough, given enough, and so little about the new covenant? 
No one, as I said last week, in my 25 years of being in leadership at one level or another in the church has ever come to me and said, you know, I'm really afraid that I have not loved enough. Not once. Now remember, love is not love like most of the songs we sing. This is not love in the English language. The Greeks, the language in which this was all written, they had many words for love, by some counts, six to eight of them. Which makes sense, right? I mean, as I've said, I love my dog, my wife, and my kids. Those are not the same kinds of love. There should be different words, but in English, there's only one. But the Greeks, they translated uh, it into different words. And the love command in the New Testament is this word agape. Agape is charitable, selfless, non-self-seeking, self-sacrificing, non-demanding, and oftentimes non-returning love. It is the love that we see that God has for us in what he's done through Christ Jesus. So Paul writes this, he says, So follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of agape. Follow God's example. Just as Christ agaped us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Jesus is the example of how to love. We're to love like he loved. And so last week, we began kind of the second part of this discussion, which is a class called How to Be a Better Lover. Remember, I was going to put that ad in Chester. Some of you wanted to, came to me this week and said you would be willing to fund that. Um, I can only hope some of you invited a friend to church this morning. I can see you at work. Hey, you should come check out my church this morning. We're learning how to be better lovers. Now, if you remember, if you were here last week, was session one of Dr. Eisman's class on Loveology. And we learned, I told you this was not natural or easy, we learned that love is not self-seeking, but submissive. Love is submissive. And I sent you home with some simple homework. Submit to one another. How'd that go? My guess is if you tried, you found out what I found out in front of OMG Burger. Not that well. Last week, love submits. This week, it's lesson two on how to be a better lover. And this one is not natural either. See, here comes the participatory portion of this morning's talk. Um, raise your hand uh, if you have a file cabinet at home. Who has a file cabinet? See, uh, I'm an old school guy. I wrote to you this week. You know how everything's online today? I just don't trust it. Um, you know, every, every bill you get, I pay my bills online, and it says, check this box if you'd like to go paperless. I can't go paperless because I have to have a record. Now, Joan would say if she was up here, he has a filing cabinet. His problem is he doesn't actually put anything in it um, because all of these paper records are mounting on my desk. It's like Mount St. Helens on my desk of paperwork. But I, I like to have a record uh, of everything, a file on everything, in case I want to remember it. Because this way, you know, if somebody asks, what do you pay for electric? Well, let me go to my file. I can tell you. I can break it down at any time. Now, I have this filing cabinet in my house. I went to it this morning. But I actually have another filing cabinet. A second. I have a filing cabinet that is in my head. You, you might have one, too. Here is where I file all of my personal bills and debts. In this filing cabinet in my head, it, it's where I keep all of my personal records of wrongs. Things that people have done to me, said to me, things that 
folks have done that have angered me or hurt me or frustrated me. You see, every time somebody has done something like that to me, well, I just tuck it in here. This way, if I ever need it, I can just pull it out right at any time and remember it. Oh, do you remember what you did? You don't remember? Let me help you remember. Let me show you what I mean. See this top drawer here? This is, um, this is my wife. She has her own drawer. Lucky girl. And so uh, I've known Joan since I was 18 years old. So uh, this drawer is pretty full. I mean, you could pull out some of the stuff that's in here. Let's take a little look-see. Here we got, uh, I remember the time you got mad when I wanted to go out with my brothers uh, in the summer of 94, in the summer of 95, summer of 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. And then uh, there's this one here. This is the one you got really mad because I'm, I'm so rude that I just leave my socks, underwear, and beard trimmings everywhere and it doesn't bother me that I never pick up after myself. <laughs> this one right here. <laughs> Do you remember, remember this one? This was when uh, you didn't get that epidural when uh, Courtney was getting delivered. You said some things to me I'll never forget that time. I mean, that was, that's a hearty file. <laughs> Quiet, Joan, I'm giving this sermon. And so I had a whole stack of things here. I mean, I pull these out at any time, you know, given the right set of circumstances. I actually have them in my mind filed correctly, right? You know, so that, you know, given the right set of circumstances, I just pull that file out. And uh, this second drawer here, this, uh, this one is um, family, mostly because it, my kids. Um, take a look at what I got in here. This is uh, four kids, uh, raising kids for the last 25 years. Let's see what we got here. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I wish I had never been born. I hate you. I can't believe that you're so mean. I can't believe that you're not letting me go to my friends. And two more, I hate you. See, I have those right here. You know, when you want tuition, well, how can I possibly pay your tuition? You hate me, don't you remember? <laughs> so I got a file on my family. And then this, these bottom two here, these are, are well, they're for you, um, you know. <laughs> They're for people that aren't my family. I keep, I got a couple drawers for, the, for them. Uh, let me see what we got in here. Okay, this one. Let's see here. See, this one looks pretty brand new. OMG Burger Guy. <laughs> and some of these, man, these are, you know, I keep files for a long time. Like, this, uh, this is that, this is that girl when I was 17 that laughed at me when I jogged by her. There you go. Oh, a lot of stuff in those cabinets. See, when we keep files like this, files become filters for us. Files become filters, and we run present life experiences through past files and filters. So when Joan asks me to put my dishes in the dishwasher, you see, she's not just asking me to put my dishes in the dishwasher. She's picking on me again. When my kids break curfew, they're not, it's not that they just came home a little late. It's that they're disrespecting me again. 
When someone on staff has a different opinion than me on something, they're laughing at me again. Files become filters, and filters separate us one from another. Every incident, every interaction, each one, I take it back to the file cabinet, and I run it through all of my files and filters, and my filters wind up getting so clogged up with past hurts and harms that no matter how pure the present interaction is, it goes into the filter. The reaction that comes out, no matter how clean the water is going in, it comes out dirty because my files became filters. Lesson two in Dr. Osmond's class on how to be a better lover. Files become filters. So the question is, how, how are your files? The, the, this is really important stuff. The, the Apostle Paul that we spoke of earlier, Paul's writing a letter to this church in a city called Corinth. And that church, just like every church so often, see, this church, the church was never supposed to be a building. Remember, God's out of the building. It was supposed to be a gathering. It was supposed to be a community. And the community was going to love one another so radically and crazy that everybody around would go, oh, they must be Jesus followers. See the way they love each other? But that wasn't what was happening in Corinth. In Corinth, they knew about Jesus, but they were crummy lovers. In fact, at one point, Paul is starting to get frustrated. He says to them, look, I've even heard that some of you guys are suing each other. You guys are taking each other to court outside of the church. You're going before non-believers and asking them to settle your arguments. Do you know what that looks like? I mean, you can't believe that a movement of people, a gathering community supposed to be set apart based on love would do this. In fact, this is what he says. He said, but instead, one brother takes another to court, and this is in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. This is a great question. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Why is being right more important? See, I like to be right, but Paul says, you know, it'd be better if, you were, if you'd been wronged. In fact, many of you have heard what Paul says to the Corinthian church read at weddings, and it wasn't read to young lovers. It was read, penned to a church where they were suing each other. Paul says what foreigner would go on to sing, if you want to know what love is, I'm going to show you. Here's what he says. It's this. It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Lesson two in learning to be a better lover is that love keeps no record of wrongs or you got to set the files on fire. See, we're supposed to love like Jesus loved. God is supposed to be our example. Here's what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 130. Check this out. He says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Key word there is if. See, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness so, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. And I love this because what the psalmist is saying is, God, if you kept a record of all of the wrongs that I've committed, if you had a filing cabinet full of my transgressions against you, what kind of relationship could you and I possibly had? 
If you keep a record of wrongs, what kind of relationship can we possibly have? (coughs) Records of wrongs ruin relationships. Remember the old covenant? Underlying this old covenant were all these rules, and and well, we broke lots of them, and, and thus there was sacrifices after sacrifices. But the Old Testament has this prophet, Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was was voicing what God was saying to his people. And he was speaking of a day to come. Here's what he wrote. He said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new way, a new promise with the people of Israel. And it won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. This is the covenant I'm going to make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'm going to put my law in sacred places, behind sacred walls, with sacred men only having access? No. I'm going to put my law in their minds. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God. And they're going to be my people. Why? For I'm going to forgive their wickedness. And I will remember their sins no more. Now, It's so important for you to understand this. If you are a follower of Jesus, a believer in Jesus, and I don't mean a believer like, you know, you believe in George Washington. I mean like you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by him. That he lived, died, and was resurrected. And if we would put our faith in him and follow him, we would be made right with God and live eternally with God. If you're a follower of Jesus... Your sins, please hear this now, it's so important because I'm not sure you know, your sins are not just forgiven. That would be good news enough. Your sins are forgotten. The psalmist says that your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west, which last I checked was pretty far. You stand before God, not just forgiven, not begrudgingly forgiven, but with the righteousness of Jesus. Your state before God is the same as Jesus' state before God. When God looks at you, he does not look at you with disappointment or judgment or kind of patient remorse. God has forgotten your sins. Now listen to me, this is very important. It it underlies a lot of the new covenant. If by faith God has not just forgiven your sins, but forgotten your sins, here's the question, why can't you? If God has forgiven your sins and forgotten your sins, why can't you? But God has forgotten what you've done Where you've been, where you've gone, the things you wish you'd never done, the things you wish you had never said, the places that you wish you had never gone. The bad night in college when things got out of hand, gone, forgotten. The time you got kind of caught up in the moment and everybody was doing it and I know I shouldn't have, but what was I going to do? And uh, I, I, every night time I go to bed, I just, I, it's always there and I can't, I can't get past it. I, I can't forgive myself. You know, that moment, gone. Gone. Not just forgiven. Forgotten. Paid for. This 
is love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Your record scrubbed clean, sealed forever. Your sins covered. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning, a covering sacrifice. So if God has forgotten your sins, why can't you? You see, Jesus in his ministry was pretty clear. Remember, we live in a spiritually charged universe. Everything that you see is not everything that there is. And Jesus, when he, when he walked the earth, said that the, the universe is not a neutral playing field. He often spoke of the fact that we have an enemy that exists in a spiritual realm that would love nothing more than to destroy your life, to keep you in bondage, to keep you trying to measure up to the old covenant and its way of thinking in fact, some of you might be familiar with this. In the last book of the Bible, it's a book called Revelation. It's a book written by that same John who spoke of love earlier. This enemy that some have called the devil or Satan, John gives him another name. He calls him the accuser. This is the role of the enemy in your life. To accuse you. This is the voice you hear in your head telling you how bad you are, how you don't measure up, have you failed as a husband or a wife or your kids, you know, your kids screwed up and now look, I must be a terrible parent. Uh, look, at I have no friends. Of course you don't have any friends. Look at you. This is how, you know, oh, I can't get promoted at work. Well, that's because you're no good at your job and people just, do you hear, you know that voice? Anybody ever hear that voice? Because that voice reminds you every day and every way of how short you've come up. That is not the voice of God. God has not only through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on our behalf, he has not only provided for the forgiveness of our sins, he has initiated at the cross the forgottenness of your sin. God has forgotten your sins. Why can't you? And this is so important. Not just to how you feel, but, but if you want to be a better lover, you have to love yourself first. I don't think I'm getting all new age on you here or anything like that. This is what I mean by that. Paul, when he was speaking of agape and how this agape love would work between a husband and a wife. He told husbands to love their wives the way Jesus loved us. And he says that, that husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He says, after all, nobody ever hated their own body, but they fed it and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. Guys, if you can't embrace and live in the reality that your sins are not just forgiven but forgotten, then how are you ever going to forget the sins of anyone else? See, we have a choice over whose example in love we're going to follow. Jesus, the one who forgives and forgets sin, or the accuser, the one with the giant file cabinet who keeps reaching back into our sin file and saying, oh, remember this? You go to church. So lesson two today is, if you want to be a better lover, you've got to forget the files. You've got to clean out the filters. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God keeps no record of our wrongs. And now neither should we, our own or those of others. Now, this is really hard. 
because some of those files have a lot of dust on them. And they've created filters which we run every experience that we have through. But God has left the building and Jesus said, I'm going to send one who's going to do even more for you than I have. He is the Holy Spirit and he will empower you to live in a new way. He will empower you to love in a new way. I want to give you some personal examples of how this has helped me in my own life. I've been sharing with you over these last couple of weeks that for the first you know, 20 years of my marriage, I was a good husband, but then the Lord started showing me that I didn't agape my wife. I, didn't, I had not laid down my life for my wife. I had not laid down my hopes, dreams, plans, wishes, and comforts. I just really wanted her to come alongside and make my hopes, dreams, plans, and comforts all come true, and she would play a role in that kingdom. Now, the reality is, Joan was doing that too, because that's just kind of what we're taught, right? You complete me. Over time, God started showing me different things. Then he started showing me my filters. And so I had gotten a couple of clogged filters related to everything that my wife had said to me. I, I began to, because uh, I had a lot of, I had a whole top drawer here of stuff. And so over time I started to get this filter um, that, oh, that Joan is being mean to me. You're being mean. And whatever Joan would say, it wouldn't matter what she said. Filter, 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 you're mean. Filter, 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 oh yeah, the, the socks, the underwear, brothers in summer 87, you're mean. Just a filter. Had a whole file cabinet. I didn't forget any wrongs. I filtered it all through the wrongs. And it was this concept of, of that I started to allow this filter to make, make me believe my wife was being mean to me. Listen, you, if you know Joan, this is laughable. She's the least mean person on the face of the earth. I'm mean. Joan is not mean. But I got a jammed up filter. Right? I'm not talking out of school. We've talked about this. I had a jammed up filter. And so the Lord helped me to see, you're using a filter. You've got to forget all the stuff in the past that you've put on, and you've got to just, you, that, whatever she's saying to you, you just got to hear that and it, like it was new for the first time. Very powerful in love when you forget all of the wrongs and you just start fresh today. Very powerful. This is how God treats you. With my kids, right? It, it's it, this concept of respect. I, you know, I don't know why. Respect is one of my hot-button issues. Respect, respect, respect. I, you know, that's a whole another filter. And so a lot of times what, when my kids do something that frustrates me, I run it through this filter. I go through, remember, draw two. I've got all this stuff. And when it comes through, it's that they've disrespected me. Now, I've told this story before, but it's the most powerful one I have in terms of my, my own life and applying these principles. I'm driving to work one day here at church, and I'm singing. I got the Christian music on, right? And I'm singing, and I'm, I'm praying. I'm going, Lord, I love you so much. You've been so good to me. I can't believe that you've been so good to me. What am I doing in this job? This is insane. A guy like me, how could I possibly uh, be the pastor of this great church? And I can't believe all the things you've forgiven me of. And then I just had this little check in my spirit where God said, oh, that's so wonderful. Are you enjoying my forgiveness? Um, I said, yes, I am. And then uh, I felt like he kind of said, because you don't express it to your kids. See, we had had an incident at home where one of my kids had done something that had disappointed me, and it was a pretty significant um, error in judgment, and uh, it, it crushed a lot of my hopes, dreams, plans for the kind of kid I wanted, you know, perfect. Kids have a way of destroying that myth, don't they, quickly? And, uh, and so um, I was really, man, I was holding on to that, man. That was a big file. And every time that kid came to me and wanted to do something, I can't let you do that. Do you remember what you did? How could I possibly trust you ever again? And so this became like a a relational break. 
Right? Like the psalmist said, Lord, who could stand? But now I could be back in relationship. Well, I had a filter. So I'm driving to work, and the Lord says, yeah, so uh, all that forgiveness that I, you love about me, I need you to go home and, and be the father to your children. And I need you to go home, and, uh, and you need to go and pull this child aside and say, not only do you forgive them, but uh, you are going to forget this. Now, see, I'm somewhat relationally handicapped, and these discussions are difficult for me. Um, and so I went home, and I looked at that kid, and I went... What mom make for dinner? And uh, it went on that way for about two weeks until God was just on me about this. Be like your father. Be like your father. And so finally I called the one kid and I said, hey, um, you know the thing? Uh, I screwed up. I have not witnessed God to you. I have not evidenced God. People would never know that I'm a, a follower of Jesus by how I'm treating you. I have held that against you, I have thrown it up in your face eight million times, and I want you to know, not only am, uh, from this point forward, uh, you are forgiven, uh, but I, I will do everything in my power, that every time I see you, I will never allow this to enter my mind, it will be forgotten. And that drastically, to this moment, changed my relationship with that kid. The psalmist wrote, speaking of, of the atoning, this reparation due our sin, here's what he said. He said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jesus' sacrifice, it covers our sin. Remember Peter? He was one of the disciples that followed Jesus, one of the learners. But he got scared the morning uh, after Jesus had been arrested, and, and, and he had promised Jesus, and I'll never deny you, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, yeah, you will, three times before the rooster crows. And if you know the story, he does deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Peter had heard about the new covenant, but he experienced it powerfully and personally when one morning Jesus, despite what he had done, found him on the shores and said, Peter, you're going to lead the movement you're going to be in charge of the church. Peter understood very personally in that moment what it meant for his sins to be covered. The Bible contains one of Peter's writings. Here's what Peter, this is probably the greatest experience of his life, having his sins covered. Here's what he knew and here's what he passed on as a final thought. In fact, I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. Let's read it together, okay? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober of mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. As the band comes up, love covers a multitude of sins. Guys, whose sin does your love need to cover? To not just forgive, but to forget. What file have you allowed to become a filter and it's just messing up your marriage, your relationships with your kids? Today, this morning, you stand before God, not, for, not just forgiven, but clean and new and bright and shiny without stain or wrinkle or blemish. Who do you need to stand before you to allow to stand before you? Sins forgotten, files covered, filter clean, shiny, new, forgiven, sins forgotten. Yours are 
the scripture says, now go and do likewise. Heck, here's what I would encourage you to do. Tell them. Tell them, go and tell somebody who said, you know what? I, I've been holding this against you. I didn't mean to. I didn't even know I was. I didn't even know I was until I kind of started looking at my heart. And I want you to know, not only do I forgive you, from this moment forward, because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do, I forget. Peter said, the end of all things is near. Above all else, more important than anything else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. 